Law Focus Podcast, bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Good evening, Viatim listener. It has just gone 7 p.m. on this last week of Women's Month, and you're listening to Law Focus with me, Melissa Tintiveni, and Sabah Muhappi on Viatim 88.1. You can look forward to this evening's topic as we speak to the Fair Trade Independent Tobacco Association, ITA, on their persistence in continuing with a legal battle against government, even though the tobacco ban has been lifted. Uh, good evening to you all, and if you've just joined us, welcome to the show. As we close the month of August tonight, we'll be looking at whether businesses have a case uh, for suing the government for loss of damages due to the pandemic. We'll be speaking to Nontanta Kobile, who's an attorney, and she'll be giving us a legal expertise on the matter. Uh, and that's what we can all look forward to tonight. But of course, we can't continue without first bringing you our legal stories of the week. Here are our legal hotspots. Rounding up all, all the top all stories of the stories week. Of the week. Legal hotspots. And indeed, with our first legal hotspot for the evening, virtual cases test the boundaries. Okay, what is that all about? The courts around the world are trying to figure out which technologies can be implemented to keep the wheels of justice turning in these increasingly uncertain times. So according to the Legal Brief, an online legal publication, virtual cases are a burning issue in countries like South Africa where there is a massive backlog of cases following months of lockdown due to the novel coronavirus. The publication states that the pandemic has left regional and district courts in the country settled with more than 60,000 case backlog at the end of June. This, as the courts handled a minimum number of trials. Now, moving on to the corruption scandal, Deco made 800% profit, the court reveals. A politically connected operator named in the personal protective equipment scandal besetting the Gauteng Health Department made an 800% profit in the COVID-19 PPE that he sold to the government. Now, according to the Sunday Times, court papers named Tandisizwa Deco, a family friend of the Gauteng MEC Bandile Masuka and also a husband to Kusela Diko, who is the president's spokesperson uh, in a detailed claim laid out by the Special Investigative Unit, the SIU. Among the SIU's claims is that an extraordinary markup was made uh, by Diko's proxy company, including buying a million medical disposal bags from a supplier for 75 cents each, selling them to the health department for seven rand apiece. And as we continue with our legal hotspots, we conclude with the 4 billion rand that has been extended to the university 2020 academic year. Taxpayers are expected to fork out more than 4 billion rand for the university academic year to be extended by early 2021 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The Mercury has reported that this was revealed by the Higher Education Minister, Bladen Zimande. He allegedly said 390 million rand was needed for technical, vocational and education training, that is, the Tibet colleges, while 4.1 billion rand will be for universities. Zimande was responding to questions from DAMP Belinda Pozzoli, who asked for the breakdown in the 5 billion rand cut of funding in the National Student Financial Aid Scheme, that is NASFAS, and also what would not be funded by the bursary scheme. Rounding up all, all the top stories of the week, of the week. Yes. Legal Hotspots. 
Law Focus, handing you your rights. The Fair Trade Independent Tobacco Association, FITA, will be persisting with its legal action despite President Cyril Ramaphosa's announcement to lift the tobacco ban after South Africa moved to level two lockdown last week. The association will proceed with its legal fight against the government for banning the sale and distribution of tobacco products for five months under level five to three of lockdown. The President of the Republic extended the national state of disaster to the 15th of September. The socioeconomic restrictions have been lifted and almost all economic activities have resumed. The sale of tobacco product is now permitted after its ban when a country introduced lockdown on the 27th of March. The government at the time argued that the ban was to protect the health of South Africans during the pandemic and cigarette producers failed to convince the country's course that the sale of tobacco was a necessity. When I joined by Snenta Antamguni, chairperson of the Fair Trade Independent Tobacco Association, also known as FITA. Uh, welcome, Snenta Anta, to Law Focus. Um, now, first things first, it's very good to have you here, um, and we appreciate your time. Uh, but can you give us an idea why continue with the legal battle against government, even though, in effect, the ban has been lifted? No, of course, of course, we accept that the ban has been lifted, but one has to uh, take uh, thorough consideration uh, to the fact that the President and the Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs both um, stated when they cautioned the nation about their behaviour now that um, the restrictions have further been lifted, um, that you know we, we are we are likely to see a increase in infections, and that may necessitate us shifting back uh, to levels three, four, or five uh, of the lockdown period, dependent on the, the rate of infections. And of course, that could then lead to um, a ban on the sale of cigarettes being reinstated, and that is what uh, we, in essence, are going to try and challenge in as far as our court application, which is now um, in the Supreme Court, before the Supreme Court of Appeal. And uh, we're stating, as we have always uh, maintained, that the ban on the sale of cigarettes should not have been in place even under lockdown level five uh, when it was implemented. So it's not mute, in your opinion? No, definitely not. And I mean, uh, beyond that, even though some may consider some of the arguments academic, I think uh, it's a matter of uh, public interest and they are... Um, a number of issues that need uh, clarity uh, in relation to the interpretation of the Disaster Management Act, uh, particularly in light in relation to the interpretation of the word uh, necessary. Uh, when uh, we we have submitted that measures implemented by the minister in terms of the Disaster Management Act need to be strictly necessary, as was ruled on uh, by a constitutional court judgment uh, in the PECO matter. Uh, whereas uh, the current uh, full bench ruling, which dismissed our application, found that it was too um, rigid to expect of a minister to to implement uh, measures which were strictly uh, necessary and it would be uh, holding the minister to a too high of a threshold. So uh, we are not in agreement with that and we feel that there's obviously uh, a conflict between two judgments in relation to the Disaster Management Act and states of disaster. So, of course, we want you know, some sort of um, clarity from the upper courts in relation to these kinds of issues. 
Mm, okay. Well, my understanding then is that you are hoping that the current lifting of the tobacco ban will not be temporary, even if, you know, we go back to a higher level of restrictions of the lockdown. You want to continue that uh, to ensure that the tobacco products continue being available on the market. Now, with that said, what is different in your argument compared to what you have been arguing all along? Is there any difference that you have added to the legal arguments? No, there's no difference. I mean, our arguments in, in as far as the appeal to the Supreme Court of Appeal were in uh, a few weeks prior to the president uh, announcing that we would be lifting the ban on the sale of cigarettes. So there couldn't have been any alteration. And in fact, even the judgment came um, the day before the president made the announcement that the ban on the sale of cigarettes would be lifted. So no, we are confident that the merits of our case are very strong and um, the ban is definitely irrational in our view. And further, the minister acted uh, beyond her powers by implementing a ban of this nature as the Disaster Management Act does not uh, empower her to enact such a ban. Further, let's, let's look at the international standard. The fact that we are currently the only, well, up until yesterday, we were the only country that had a ban on the sale of cigarettes during um, the coronavirus pandemic. So um, there are really many, many arguments that we raise. In fact, we relied on 10 grounds in our application to the Supreme Court of Appeal uh, challenging the ban on the sale of cigarettes and tobacco products during the lockdown period. Mm-hmm. And are you only asking for recourse in the sense that the regulations should not be so restrictive for tobacco sales? Or is there something else that you're looking for, like maybe perhaps suing for loss of income or non-performance, those kind of things, kind of like what the um, alcohol license uh, traders were trying to do? Look, we, we get asked that question quite quite frequently. But no, at this stage, we are not um, suing for any damages. Uh, we are focused solely on ensuring that the ban on the sale of cigarettes is not reinstated under any lockdown level. So, I mean, we, we saw with the alcohol uh, ban, for instance, that was reinstated, and that really caused further damage to that particular industry. So, no, we, we're just trying to ensure that you know, we don't find ourselves again in the same position that we're in for the last five months when uh, there was no activity within our industry, and it, uh, the damages there are felt uh, right across uh, the industry's value chain. And uh, it, it's quite concerning. We still don't know how we're going to come out of um, the, the current situation that we find ourselves under because, of course, we know that illicit traders have now taken over and people uh, are buying cigarettes on the black market. And, I mean, all I hear on radio now is that people are really happy about the fact that they, they now know that there are cheaper cigarettes available for them and uh, they don't know if they're going to now pay the hefty prices that the legitimate players in the industry um, sell their cigarettes for. Well, listen, as a smoker, I can tell you the quality I've heard, the quality of those cheaper cigarettes is really not something to write home about. But anyway, <laughs> moving on. Yeah. One of the things that you, you rely on in your, in your argument is the interpretation of the word necessary. Um, mm. And um, the case that you mentioned, I believe, is... Relates to a localized disaster in our yeah. East brand, and mm. uh, this one is a national disaster, etc. Okay, mm. so there's a lot made about those that distinction. That you know, if it's localized, maybe you can raise the threshold. If it's a big, you know, you know, national disaster, perhaps the threshold would be too high. 
which is basically the ruling of the Pretoria court moralists, is that yeah. not actually quite an important distinction, that where it's localized, perhaps the threshold should not be as high as where, or should be higher than where it is not, you know, where it's a more general type of uh, consideration. I hear what you're saying, and again, I mean, this is why I think it's crucial that we proceed with this court application, because what happens, for instance, where you have uh, in Gauteng, for instance, a situation like what we are told was happening in Wuhan, China, where it's rampant and beyond even what we've seen nationally as a country, um, are you then going to still apply those same sort of... Um, lesser stringent um, tests toward, in, in relation to the word necessary by saying, but it's only in Gauteng, you know. So that's that's where I think we, we need clarity uh, in as far as the interpretation of the disaster management act. Because, I, I mean, you can see uh, uh, it happening that on some occasions a local state of disaster may be more serious than a national one. So I think I think we need to have a test that that is um, more sort of... Um, exposed to, to, to the current um, situation that we, we're under and also the fact that, you know, we now know what a, a bigger range of states of disasters than what was prevalent at the time of PECO and, and perhaps now uh, with uh, the COVID-19 virus. So I think, I think it's only going to help develop our law. And I mean, we can argue this until uh, we're both blue in the face, but I think it's, it's really important for our jurisprudence that this matter really gets... Uh, taken all the way to the highest courts uh, for, for further, further development of our legal precedent. Mm. And and why did you believe, though, that the cigarettes should really not have never been prohibited under any of the lockdown levels? Um, what are your, you know, arguments, and are they health-related at all? Look, I mean, one of the, the, the arguments that we put forward, I mean, very early on, uh, after we went into lockdown, there were a number of studies which were conducted by a number of independent institutions worldwide. Uh, because, of course, we know that other countries had gone into lockdown way before us. And all these studies had shown, and in line with the fact that all these countries had not uh, banned smoking, that there has not been an established link shown between smoking of cigarettes and other tobacco products and a more severe and more severe cases of COVID-19. In fact, in countries such as China, uh, France uh, and, and other parts of Europe where, where there are traditionally high percentages of adult smokers. Um, the studies then, the empirical data which was relied upon showed that there was actually a very low prevalence um, of, of uh, severe cases of COVID-19 among smokers. I mean, uh, the, the Wuhan study, for instance, was looked at by a doctor called Dr. Fasalinos, uh, who, who did the only uh, peer-reviewed study worldwide on the effects of smoking and COVID-19. And he showed, he, he was even actually interviewed on a number of South African TV stations. And he stated that um, he does not understand why government has imposed a ban on smoking. And in actual fact, it, it, it's potentially going to cause more harm than, than do good in that, of course, there's, uh, nicotine we know is an addictive substance. And the people that rely on nicotine, once you withdraw that, that, um, that substance without some sort of inter when um, they are slowly taken off that substance, you, you're going to create a number of psychological and physical um, issues for them. And uh, one of those is, of course, lowering their immune system. So um, 
it, it was not in line, uh, as, as a matter of fact, with uh, medical literature at the time. And I think, I mean, it's borne out by our court papers and the court papers of many others who have challenged the, the government ban on the sale of cigarettes. Further, we deal with the international standard and the fact that, again, at the time, I think it was only South Africa and Botswana that had banned the sale of cigarettes. Uh, and yet um, other countries who had successfully treated the, or rather prevented the spread of the virus, did not see a need to ban um, the sale of cigarettes. So, you know, it, it, it was why we challenged the rationality of government's decision. Uh, and of course, um, we, we even attached uh, reports from psychiatrists and other health practitioners which show the impact uh, that uh, banning the sale of cigarettes would have. And of course, the fact that government didn't also look at less um, you know, invasive means prior to implementing an, a, a complete ban. And I mean, we, we know that um, psychiatric literature is littered with uh, commentary on why smokers should never go cold turkey. In fact, um, when the ban was implemented, we had a lot of um, emails and, and correspondence from rehab, rehabilitation facilities for both um, people with uh, physical disabilities and, and those um, who were recovering from drug addiction. And uh, these facilities were saying to us that uh, people that are recovering from drug addiction often use the smoking of cigarettes as a sort of midway between, you know, them stopping whatever substances they were addicted to and going completely cold turkey because that obviously comes with its own health risks. In the same way that uh, some people with physical disabilities, we're told, also use smoking as a coping mechanism. So, you know, uh, in as much as uh, people sometimes see smoking as a uh, taboo sort of um, addiction, some people actually rely on it as a coping mechanism, and uh, we have literature that backs that up. Well, what I didn't know is that um, the immune system can be impacted if you, you know, abruptly decide to quit. Um, I think that's very interesting. But then what if the people whom you are fighting for actually, well, some of them, let me say, don't go back to their normal original brand of cigarettes and continue with the illicit substances that they've been getting all along? What then for you as speaker? Well, that's the nature of the beast, unfortunately, and it's something that we try to warn government against because ultimately not only the manufacturer loses, but um, the fiscus also loses because we know, of course, that uh, just from cigarette sales alone, government makes 15 billion rand per annum uh, on the excise levy on there. And that's not including value-added tax and then the mm-hmm. corporate income tax paid by companies, um, you know, a personal income tax, skills development levies and so forth that are paid by tobacco um, industry role players. So, uh, of course, that's something that's going to need uh, cooperation from both industry and government in as far as how do we now go back to trying to restore the industry to its former position and ensuring that government gets, gets what's due to it in as far as uh, taxes. Uh, okay. I remember since I was about, I think when I was a teenager, they, you know, tobacco was still allowed tobacco producer was still allowed to advertise, etc. And so for the last so 20 years or so, there's been a real push, I would say, against tobacco and so on. And gradually over time, you know, some sectors, they've been pushed out, like advertising and sports and stuff mm-hmm. like that. This latest five months of being totally, totally unable to operate, um, mm-hmm. has that resulted in some sort of job bloodbath, I mean, what is the result from your sector of being completely prohibited from operating? Look, 
I, I don't think, of course, um, uh, you're going to see a shift just in the tobacco industry. I think most industries have experienced a, a maybe you could say some sort of wake-up call, and we're going to have to relook how we conduct business. I mean, I'm an attorney myself, besides being the chairperson of the Federal Independent Tobacco Association, and I mean, even our industry, uh, the legal profession, we, we're going to have to relook how we do business. So. Uh, the tobacco industry is not is not uh, the only one that's uh, subject to this, and I think there's going to be uh, a lot of innovation that we're going to be seeing uh, from tobacco uh, players along the value chain. And I think we we're going to have to change the way that we have been doing things. Of course, in line with the Tobacco Products Control Act, which, as you say, um, prohibits a number of uh, of um, sort of tactics which one can employ to to try and attract um, consumers. So look, we're going to have to. It's going to be difficult, but I think um, uh, as entrepreneurs, we're going to have to adapt and, and see what we can do um, to 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 regain market share. And I know there's talks that some people um, have attracted market share as a result of the the, the ban. So look, it's a new new uh, sort of environment, and uh, it's exciting, but also scary at the same time because you know with the, with the um, sort of strength of the illicit trade now, um, we're going to see that um, really people are going to have to change the way they have conducted things. And I think, again, they, there's another a number of aspects that we have to look at in terms of the, what, how the tobacco industry traditionally has been, whereas we've seen maybe one or two manufacturers really dominating. I mean, I'm sure we've all been to petrol stations across the country and you see this display uh, unit there, and it's, it's dominated by brands of one or two manufacturers because those, those companies have been in existence for centuries and they've been able to uh, create or implement exclusivity agreements with, uh, with, uh, with uh, retailers and so forth. And we're going to approach, be approaching government to ensure that there's a level playing field for all because as things currently stand in the tobacco industry as well, you and I will not be able to... It's, it's very difficult, but if not nice. uh, impossible. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry for, for, for interjecting you there. I was just saying, I guess COVID-19 has presented you with new opportunities as well. Mm. No, yeah. definitely. Definitely. I mean, um, you know, uh, I, I, um, maybe this is the right platform to raise, raise such an issue. I mean, the tobacco industry is relatively untransformed, like many other industries in South Africa. And we don't see many black faces playing in the space. So, Perhaps it's also an opportunity to, to you know, push towards that agenda of transformation. You can't have an industry uh, in, a, in, in a democratic South Africa some 26 years into, into post-democratic South Africa still being dominated by the same players that were dominating prior to us entering a democratic dispensation. So I think, I think it's high time that we, we, we see uh, a more transformative sort of uh, industry as well. I guess that aspect would really make for um, another interesting conversation. But so far, what is the latest regarding your case? Uh, our constitution, um, our Supreme Court of Appeal case. Yeah. Look, um, of course, uh, as I stated earlier on, we received judgment on on uh, late on Friday, um, confirming that our application for leave to appeal had been granted. We were then told that the court wants to have the matter heard as a matter of urgency. So. Um, our understanding is that the matter will be before court uh, will be in court before the end of September. We are currently awaiting uh, further directives from the Supreme Court of Appeal. 
prior to us, of course, you know, notifying the public as to when exactly they can expect the matter to be heard. And of course, another thing that I just may wish to add is that there's also also been correspondence from our legal team to government's legal team uh, with a view to potentially settling the disputes between the parties. I, I can't say too much at this stage because, uh, you know, legal legal um, uh, settlements of discuss, uh, discussions of settlement are normally uh, without prejudice. So at this stage, we are possibly looking at seeing if we can find common ground with government on this issue. And uh, we will keep uh, the public updated as and when we go along. Just out of interest, though, quickly, have none of the bigger brands, like those uh, who have registered with FITA, um, have they not, none of them absolutely not been involved at all in selling tobacco products illegally under the Disaster Management Act or the lockdown regulations? As far as no, you know. Well, like, I can't speak for everyone, but in as far as uh, FITA uh, members, who are the majority of South African cigarette manufacturers, uh, I can categorically state that uh, they have not been involved in those shenanigans. If anything, I mean, we, uh, as you will know, from alert level four, South African cigarette manufacturers were permitted to manufacture for export purposes. Now, our exports were um, strictly um, controlled and monitored by officials of the South African Revenue Service. So from our side, I can categorically state that, no, we were not involved in such shenanigans. Okay. So it's been quite a long journey and it's not quite over yet. Uh, I'd like to give you an opportunity just to express whatever it is you'd like to South Africans to know about your battle and perhaps the industry and your battle with uh, the government at the moment. And uh, is there anything in particular you'd like to highlight to us? Look, um, the South African tobacco industry, as, as we know traditionally, has always been dominated by multinational cigarette manufacturers. And as things currently stand, they've obviously dictated uh, perception about uh, brands and which ones are, are superior and which aren't. And again, um, we want, uh, as, as uh, representatives of independent South African cigarette manufacturers, a level playing field and fair treatment of all parties uh, within the South African tobacco industry. And if there is to be engagement with uh, government uh, or any of its organs during uh, the next few weeks, that uh, all stakeholders within the tobacco industry value chain be, be you know, part of any consultative processes. We do not want to go back to uh, the times of years gone by when um, only certain uh, players within the tobacco industry were listened to. And uh, we think that now is the correct time. Uh, I think in a way... The, the lockdown period has almost heralded the changing of times. And going forward uh, as an industry, we would like a fair trading uh, environment for all within the industry and for, for, for government to really create an environment where any South African who's got an entrepreneurial mind uh, can partake in the industry if, if they wish to do so and if they have the capabilities to do so without, you know, um, ch- challenges that many uh, in the past, particularly the members of our organization, have faced. Um, as a result of the industry being dominated by uh, foreign-owned monopolies. Okay. By the way, Sinantlandla, before we let you go, if you can just answer me this one question in less than a minute. Uh, Does your legal battle include e-cigarettes? Look, yeah, our our argument deals with cigarettes and tobacco-related products. In other words, every uh, product uh, which falls under the category of a tobacco product which was banned during the lockdown uh, period. So yeah, it does definitely do so. 
Okay, right, I'm sorted. Well, that was Nantantla Mguni, who is the chairperson of the Fair Trade Independent Tobacco Association, speaking to us tonight about the intents of continuing with their court action against government, even though the cigarette ban has been lifted. Well, thank you so much, Nantantla, for joining us on Law Focus tonight. Do keep well and what best. Law Focus, handing you your rights. If you've just joined us, welcome to Law Focus. I'm Tab Mahap, and with me is the lovely Millicent Ndueni. Sadly, we're getting close to the end of the show now, and we're going to move to a part where we hear your unique various voices uh, about the tobacco products ban, as well as the ban being lifted during Level 2 lockdown. Here's what some of you had to say. Support Lady here. Uh, I'm actually quite glad that we moved to Level 2 lockdown. Um, and more in particular with the sale of, or, the, or rather the unbanning of uh, tobacco, we can actually now generate good revenue for the country and not for the individuals that were, you know, gaining from the illicit trade of the, you know, cigarettes and um, other tobacco products. Um I would like to think that, you know, there isn't any scientific proof that cigarettes were actually terrible or bad for one's health, even though, yes, it does affect the respiratory um, system. But um, other than that, I don't really think there was any scientific proof for them to actually do put um, a ban on cigarettes. However, alcohol has seen... Um, that there is actually bad things that do happen um, when excessive alcohol is being consumed. And that has proved itself um, within a week of the reopening of um, or the unbanning of alcohol. Hello, my name is Nongkulule Wongwenya. I'm very happy that the restriction on the sale of cigarettes was lifted in uh, lockdown level two. Uh, I don't think the restriction on the sale of cigarettes prevented anyone from smoking in the first place. It just made people smoke poorer quality stuff at a higher price. But now that the ban's been lifted, we can buy our usual brands at regular prices. So I'm very pleased about that. Hi, my name is Dagmar Wade. I'm actually kind of glad about the, when it comes to level two on the grounds that I can finally go see my daughter. This thing of not, of not being able to cross the borders was a problem. So being able to be free to cross the border anytime I want to, that's quite nice. When it comes to the cigarette thing, um, well, I'm happy that it. it's been on ban on the, on the sense that some tax revenue, uh, we can we can start collecting tax on uh, tax on it. So some money come back. Pretty good. We lost some money, so pretty good that uh, it's been unbanned. So we can make some money again as a country. Hi, my name is Kenzie Mohapi, and with regards to the level two lockdown, I think South Africa has been through an interesting spell, as the rest of the world has. But we find ourselves in a, a unique position because we're a country that was going through a tough economic time prior to the lockdown 
And as much as uh, all these conditions were put in place to make sure that there's a slower spread of the virus, we can contain it a little bit better, we can treat it a little bit better. I think the government has done, to a degree, a fair job in that particular regard. I know there's some scandals that are happening around PPE at the moment, but regards to readiness, um, I think if we're going to be honest, they are able to take care of the mass needs. And that was part of the purpose of the lockdown. Uh, one of the things that was a big talking point in the lockdown, of course, was also the ban on liquor and tobacco, tobacco being the longest one affected. I'm not a smoker, but with regards to the, the tobacco being unbanned from an economic perspective, it's a huge part of our GDP, especially for a country right now that's going through the most and where we have a contraction. In fact, at some point, we had a recession in the last year. Every cent that we can get, we need to get. We need to get people back into their jobs. They need to be able to get uh, the economy flowing within and get interest back into the country. So it might be a vice for many, but it really is still a legal business that brings in billions of rands of revenue that we need for our health care, for our roads, for society. And so I think it was the right move. Law Focus on 88.1 Point of Information. Welcome back to Law Focus with Melissa Ngugini and Tepa Mohati. If you just joined us, we're talking about the Fair Trade Independent Tobacco Association's legal bill against the government over the tobacco product ban, even though it has been lifted just last week. With all the constantly changing lockdown regulations and now the country has moved to level two of the lockdown, there has been, have been rather many businesses that have acquired huge losses during the five-month period since the lockdown in March. Now, before the introduction of the level two regulation uh, lockdowns, we saw the Restaurant Association of South Africa planning to sue the government for damages. And now we're witnessing fair trade uh, independent tobacco associations legal battle against government over the tobacco products ban, although yes, it has now been lifted. They are continuing with their litigation. The repercussions of the lockdown have disadvantaged so many companies from various industries, uh, where many unab- are unable to make profits as they did before the COVID-19 pandemic. And I joined by Ntanta Kobile, an attorney, who will be giving us a legal opinion on the topic. Uh, good evening, Ntanta. How are you? Good evening, Tepo. Good, thank you. And thank you for having me. So we, 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 you are very welcome to be here. We're happy, excited to have you. Thank you for coming through. Now, looking at the uh, legal battle of FITA, you know, the, the Tobacco Association and government, um, what do you think of their decision to continue with the court action against the government, although for the time being at least the tobacco ban has been lifted? Yeah, firstly, I think we all need to remember that uh, South Africa is founded on the supremacy of the Constitution and the rule of law. And what that means is that the exercise of public law is regulated by the Constitution and that the government cannot exercise any power beyond what it has been given um, by the Constitution. So then, um, with that being said, if anyone feels as though the lockdown regulation imposed by the government um, is in any way unconstitutional, then they have every right to approach the court. So in this particular case, if um, FITA feels as though um, the regulations were unconstitutional, then they are well within their rights to continue with their legal battle in court. 
and and with that said, then uh, would you would you say that uh, they they have a strong case for the damages against government that they are seeking to obtain? Okay, so just to to look at the the case, the FITA case, right? Um, the challenge there was founded on the legality principle in that banning um, cigarettes um, bears no rational relationship to curbing the spread of the virus. So the question that the courts will consider is whether the minister in imposing the ban um, was rational in doing so and whether it actually served the purpose for the, the ban or the limitation. And as we know, the courts found that the government was actually rational in their decision and, and they considered that the ban was um, fitting at the time to curb the spread of COVID-19. So, I mean, if they were to continue with this court case, they still have to prove that, um, you know, how, how was it that the government was not rational in banning the um, tobacco sales? Yeah. yeah. Well, fortunately, uh, you know, you are not directly involved in this matter. Uh, if, looking from the outside, what would you think or what would you say is likely to be the outcome of the case? Who scores you know, high? I think, uh, yes, I, I think the courts would still uphold um, the fact that the ban was not was not ir- irrational and the limitation was actually justifiable because um, evidence was actually provided that people that smoke have a higher risk um, of transmitting the disease and also um, the 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 severity of them con- contracting the the, the the virus was more than a non-smoker. So, I mean, this is the evidence that was put forward. So, if if FITA were to continue with it, they'd have to give evidence that actually shows that that's actually not the case, and they'd have to prove to the court that the limitation of their right was somehow not justifiable and was not rational. So in my view, it, it would be a difficult one to prove because as we know, under lockdown, a lot of rights were limited, you know, and all these rights were limited um, for the purpose of preserving people's lives. So that, that that's the discussion that would take place in court. Right. Now, there's been a lot, there's been a lot of legislation over the last five months. And, you know, literally every week something new is coming out or being repealed or being amended or whatever, or being overturned by the court or being confirmed. So a lot has been going on from, you know, um, from a law point of view. Uh, Do you think so far, since the institution of the lockdown uh, restrictions by the National Command Council, have they been good? or accurate in, in using their laws. I mean, some of the regulations, I couldn't understand myself personally. But, I mean, what's your take on the law and how it's been used so far? You know, I think the government has been faced with a difficult task of trying to keep everyone safe and alive, as well as, as, well as trying to preserve the economy. So I'd say um, they've done a good job, but obviously there are there are those instances where 
you you question some of the regulations. For instance, we we just remember what happened with the the taxi situation where taxis were allowed to operate at 100% capacity locally and 70% capacity um, within the provinces. And then on the other hand, you you have restaurants that are not allowed to to serve alcohol and I mean, their businesses were were limited in a great way. So, I mean, one would say if taxis are allowed to to continue at 100% capacity, but on the other hand, in other industries, you're limiting them so much, where's the fairness in that? So I think in instances like that, I mean, it, it, it was a bit confusing for for South Africa to say other industries are, are suffering way more than, than other industries. And I mean... The one that, sorry, yeah. the one that really sticks out for me was the clothing one. You know, with the with the open shoes weren't allowed, and then wow! I mean, how can we uh, have that? I mean, it didn't last very long. I, it lasted a couple of weeks. That, that 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 nonsense. But the fact that it was even there at some stage that you couldn't buy open shoes, you know, open toed shoes or whatever it was, I thought that was just going a little bit too far. But anyway. Um, I suppose you've given your view on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yes, okay. Um, and do you think that um, going forward, it's going to be applied better? Um, you know, it's it's a bit tricky to say because I think the the... the the reopening or the phasing of the lockdown was actually a very good approach by the government because as as we remember the president saying that if we if we open up everything all at once we we face the risk of just regressing and going back to all those high numbers in cases so i think the fact that we have five levels and we keep moving from one level to another and they they open up um industries as the, the levels um, go up or down, I, I think is a, is a good approach because then it, they're able to monitor. And I mean, with with every level, they see, okay, this is what we can do better. Okay, let's open here. This is what we can do differently, you know? So I think the phasing of it was actually a good approach by the government. And I mean, obviously nothing is perfect. And I think because this is a new pandemic that we're faced with, the government is also kind of learning as they go along to see what works and what does not work. Okay. Um, I, I totally take, take your point. Um, I think perhaps before we, we get to the last point on the sale of cigarettes, um, there've been rumors, none has been proven yet. Um, Peter says, according to what they know, no one who is part of their organization um, was selling um, illegally during the lockdown regulations. In the case that they were, Uganda, uh, do you think they should even have a right to have this recourse? And, uh, you know, what would be the correct, I don't know, punishment is not the right word, um, but, you know, how should they be punished in some way, um, as an example, perhaps for other industries as well, because it would have been unfair for them to benefit by suing the government, even though they had been making a lot of money behind the scene, behind closed doors. Okay, so if I'm understanding you correctly, you're talking about um, the black markets. Yeah. With regards to the illicit cigarettes. Yeah, uh, you yeah. know, it's a lot has been said about uh, 
at the thriving trade of illicit tobacco products as a result of the ban. And, um, you know, they the, the black market has benefited a lot because they had the chance of selling cigarettes at higher prices and they don't pay taxes. And on the other hand, we have organizations that um, follow the law but could not sell the, the, the tobacco because the lockdown, you know, and then you have the black market that's making a lot of money and not pay, paying taxes. Um, but, you know, the question still remains whether this there's a rational connection between the ban and the means preferred, you know. So what we're saying is, what was this, if, if, if the limitation of the ban was rational, then the limitation was justifiable, then there's not much that can be done because the lockdown is basically saying we're limiting a lot of rights, but we are justified in doing so because we're trying to preserve the rights of life, you know? And as much as um, either the black market might have made a lot of money, but did it serve the purpose that it wanted to serve in the sense that... Um, fewer people were smoking and with that were they able to save lives and as they said that um if if more people were, were smoking then it would mean that they, they'd have more people in hospitals going in and they you know and then the health system already was under pressure and they wouldn't be able to um, accommodate a large number of people. So they were just trying to curb and manage the situation. So if limiting that right was achieving its purpose, then it, it wouldn't really be a problem because rights are actually allowed to be limited in terms of the constitution in section 36. The government is allowed to limit rights as long as it can show that it's justifiable and it's rational. And in doing so, it was able to achieve the purpose that it was trying to achieve. And in this particular case, the purpose was to save lives and curb the, the spread of the coronavirus. Mm, okay, yeah, because sure, money is a huge factor uh, during during the state of disaster. And, 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 but lastly, let's talk about the extension of the lockdown. We've seen it being extended a few times. Um, how long could this possibly last for, according to law at least? Um, how long can the state of national disaster be extended for? Okay, so the president has said on multiple occasions that the virus will be with us for some time to come. So I think as as long as we have new cases on a daily basis, we are most likely still going to be put under lockdown. But to say how long we'll be under lockdown will probably be determined by the number of new cases. Um, because if we're not faced with high numbers, then we're likely going to go to level one, and that will mean things going back to normality. But then again, if the numbers spike again, then the, the government is, is, is allowed to take us back to level two, level three, whatever the case may be. Granted, granted. Thank you very much. Um, well, that was Ntanta Gobine, who has just given us her legal analysis uh, on this complex matter of the tobacco ban that existed for about five months now and Peter taking the government to court. Um, let us know what you feel about you know this particular topic. Thank you so much, Ntanta, for sharing your analysis with us. We appreciate your time on local business.
Listening to Law Focus? Connect with VowFam88.1 on Twitter and Facebook. Be your own lawyer. Thank you once again for choosing us every Tuesday night. Let's meet once more next week when we welcome a new season and month of September. It's been a long year. We promise a good show. We will be profiling another inspiring figure in the legal fraternity. Of course, we can't officially close the show without thanking our producer, Rufiwe Mekwa, our technical producer, Kukono Sirame, and myself, Melissa Ndiveni, and Sepo Muhabi. Thank you for tuning into Law Focus, and have a good evening. Good night. Law Focus on Volfan 88.1. Point of information. Law Focus Podcast.